Sixth grade can be dismissed to Children's Church. Kids, make your way on back. I will give an announcement while everyone's finding their places. Um, after our service this morning, we'll take just a short break, and then we will uh, be back in here for a meeting. We'll have a congregational meeting to discuss the improvements that the executive board is proposing. And um, so we'll have time for Q&A today. We'll go over the what we're proposing as well as the why and the how we can accomplish this. So um, if you're a member, please be here for that. If you're not a member, you're welcome to stay for that and see a little bit of how we run here at Calvary. Hopefully it will be an encouragement to you. Um, next Sunday we'll have another meeting and we will actually have a vote um, on uh, spending the monies and accepting the proposal from the executive board. Would you stop with me one more time and would you bow with me in prayer? Father, you are good to us, day after day, moment by moment. Sometimes we recognize that and see it clearly. Other times we have to intentionally remind ourselves or be reminded by something that comes our way of how good you are to us. As we have been encouraged already today to lift our voices and praise you, we would ask now that you would allow us, Lord, to take in your word, take it into our hearts and into our minds. I would pray right now the Holy Spirit would be clearly involved in our time, that you would give us ears to hear. Help me, Father, not to get in the way of the text, but hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ so that we can know you better for our time in your word today. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to test your memory this morning uh, just over the past week. So some of you will be relieved to hear that. Some of you are going to struggle with that. But I want to ask you to try to count how many times in the past week you have done something. You're going to need a little bit of time and likely over the next hour or so, maybe an additional um, spot will pop into your mind. But I wanted to ask the question, how many times have you ignored an alarm over the past week? Some kind of an alarm. I'll give you some examples as you are letting your mind go through right now. Even this morning, as I came in and turned on my computer, I had an alarm that my storage was almost full on my email. I didn't give it much thought. I knew that um, I, had pl- I have plenty of time. There's a red line right across there. Just last night, I ignored a censored alarm on my car. I don't ignore every sensor on my car, but this one here comes on for no reason, and then it goes off, and I can't explain it, and hopefully I don't regret that decision, but having said that, I ignored that just last night. I wonder how many alarms you've ignored this week. Perhaps you've walked through a parking lot, and you've heard a car alarm going off. It's likely that most of you didn't stop in your tracks and go over there to catch the person that was breaking into that car. We've gotten kind of used to some alarms going off, not for good reason. I had an opportunity um, not too long ago to be in my hometown. I had a funeral. My stepdad's uh, mother passed away. And so in January, many of you are familiar, I was not here on a certain Sunday and traveled down to Illinois and preached that funeral. It was a blessing for me to be there, and it was good to see some family and catch up. I look forward to seeing my family sometime again in the near future. Having said that, when you go out of town, you're out of your routine. 
I have a routine of at least walking every day. I try to do that. I walk or I jog at least every day for at least some. Sometimes I'll go faster. A lot of times I'll go slower. And as the weeks go on, I get slower and slower, it seems like. But I was out of my routine. I couldn't go around town here, and I couldn't go to the rec center here in Lapeer. So I decided I didn't want to be thrown off completely. So there's a YMCA in Danville, Illinois, where I grew up. I went to that Y when I was young, and I said, well, I'll go down there, and I'll get a day pass so I can um, get on the treadmill and, and do my walking and enjoy that time. As I went down there that day, I saw all kinds of workers walking in and out of the back of the building. I saw some materials that were up, and it was obvious to me there was some work going on. That had me a little bit concerned. I went up, and I said, I'd like to have a day pass, please. And they said, sure. So I paid my money, which was too much in my humble opinion. And I got my day pass, and all I was going to do was just for about an hour, I wanted to get a little bit of walking in, a little bit of exercise in. Well, I found out what the construction was for. The construction was because they had totally taken apart the room with all the walking machines in it. So I couldn't do that. Now, when I was growing up, they didn't have those machines, um, near as much anyway, and they have a track above one of the gymnasiums, and so I knew what I was going to do. I'm going to go right to that track. As I got up there on that track, and even before that, when I was buying my day pass, I noticed an alarm go off, and the employees were over there scrambling, and they got it shut off, so they fixed it. I knew the construction that was going on. And so I got in there, and I was up there, and I was going around this track at a pace that I enjoyed anyway. And as I was up there, there I'm sorry. (laughs) There goes the alarm. I knew they were having construction. I knew the alarm had already gone off since I had been there. There's a couple gymnasiums there, one big one, and they had all the youth sports going on, the kids playing basketball in the bigger gym. In the smaller gym where I was above, there were some uh, students, uh, teenagers that were playing basketball. And right away when the alarm went off, they looked at each other and they walked over and grabbed their stuff and they walked out. What I did was I just kept walking in a circle. I didn't even stop because I knew there was something wrong with the alarm, something going on with that construction. I had already observed it. And so I kept going. And within just a few seconds, the alarm shut off. I was glad that I didn't stop what I was doing. Those guys came back in and things got back to normal. After just a few seconds, get ready. The alarm went off again. I wasn't shocked. I wasn't surprised. But I once again ignored the alarm because I'm assuming it's going to shut off. These kids once again gathered their things and walked out. The alarm didn't shut off. And then I see the, uh, just the uh, bunch of people walking down the hallway from the kids' sports, and they're leaving because the alarm didn't shut off. And what I did was I kept walking in my circle. And it's going to shut off any time now. And the alarm kept going and kept going. So I turned my music up louder and louder on my earbuds and ignored it. And then after so long and that alarm didn't shut off, an employee came in, and she looked up at me, And she said, hey, we've got to evacuate the building, just like that. And so much to my chagrin, I went and got my stuff and went and stood outside in the cold, fire department's coming. I'd already paid for my day pass and paid too much, by the way. (laughs) And after a little while, the alarm went off and I was able to go back in. I ignored that alarm. I ignored it twice. I ignored it until somebody came along and told me, you have to leave the building. 
I ignored it because I didn't think that alarm had any credibility. If I genuinely thought there was a fire or an emergency, I would have left right away. But I ignored it. Because I was confident that there was nothing to be alarmed about. It didn't have any credibility. As you and I walk in our Christian lives, there are messages that we are giving to people. Some of these messages are easy to give. I mean, um, following the laws of the land, that's something that Christians should do. But when we look at that, there is no doubt that many people who even are not Christians follow the laws of the land. There are some things that we do that are easy to get behind and easy for us to have credibility as we follow them. And then there are some things that we do that it's hard. It's difficult. There are some things that we will step out in faith and do or things that the world will observe us doing and they'll scratch their heads. When it comes to reading God's word and taking some verses in, I want to suggest to you that all of God's word is inspired and it is profitable. And there are some verses that are very easy for us to put on a coffee cup or on a tie, on a bookmark, and everybody likes those. And there are some other ones that they might go on one of those, one of those items, but having said that, there are some other ones that when we look at it, it's hard for us to have confidence in this. We're going to look at a text today, and it has one of these verses. How, well, I've titled this over-the-top kind of verses. Let me give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. When we can have boldness and have confidence in this area of the power of God. So when you are talking with someone who, as far as you know, they're not a believer, how much confidence can you have when you talk about the power of God that you have in your life. Here's one verse. Um, actually, it's three verses. John 14, 12 through 14 says, John 14, 12 through 14 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, This will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's grand, isn't it? That's over the top. And we don't mind claiming that verse and quoting that verse, but if you want to prove to somebody outside of the body of Christ that verse, well, they're going to give you all kinds of things. Okay, I've got something for you to ask. Ask this. And when we want to test that, sometimes we will struggle in our thinking. Let me give you another one. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the end of the earth. This is Acts 1.8. Don't you want to have that kind of power? Amen. Yeah, that's what I want. I want to have that kind of power. I want to be able to quote this verse to somebody who doesn't have the same um, background that I have in Christianity or the Bible or church and have confidence that I can have power from God. Now, here's the one that we're going to cover today. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now unto him, this is over the top, unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask, Or think, according to the power at work within us, 
Unto him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If in your journey you have had some verses like these and you were asked, well, can you give me an example of proof? You might backtrack a little bit. If you've ever come to the area of prayer and you've seen those, those promises where it says, ask for whatever you will and it will be given you from God. If you've ever had any kind of struggles with any of those over-the-top kind of verses, then you need to pay attention today. Today is going to be the end of a section in the book of Ephesians. If you're not already there, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, please. Ephesians chapter 3, all that to bring us to our text. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, and we've already covered the first half of this chapter, but in verse number 1, he begins with a prayer. This is the second prayer of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. He begins with a prayer, but before he gets into the second verse, Paul interrupts himself, and he goes off on a, not, not a tangent, but he interrupts himself to elaborate on a truth that was very important to these people as the majority of the Christians at the church of Ephesus were Gentiles and Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So he interrupts his prayer right after verse number one and he talks about this. Let me read for you um, verses five and six of Ephesians three and I'm gonna, I, I wrote down the um, version of the message which explains it in a wonderful way to give us some insight. It says this, the mystery that the people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is acceptable and welcoming to everyone across the board. So that's all review. The Apostle Paul, in verse number two of chapter three of Ephesians, interrupts himself and says, I have been called to take this message to the Gentiles. It's not just for the Jews. And you as Gentiles, you're not on the outside. God has created something beautiful. You've both, Jews and Gentiles, been made into something new, and that is the church. And this interruption lasts from verse 2 down to verse, verse 13. And then he continues on. And this awesome truth that he talks about and he goes off and reminds them of, it prompts this prayer. We find a prayer in verses 14 through 19. Go ahead and look with me at verse 14 of Ephesians 3. He started out in verse number 1 by saying, for this reason, and then he picks up his prayer in verse 14. So again he says, before he so rudely interrupted himself. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Stop right there. This is not one of our main points, but it is worth noting because the Apostle Paul, talking about this prayer, says, I bowed my knees. In our day today, if I were to ask you, what's an acceptable list of postures for praying? Or maybe this is better. What are some common postures for prayer? We would have no, no problem at all having kneeling as one of the common postures for prayer. Most of us have seen the famous picture of General Washington kneeling down before he would go to war. 
There are many popular paintings and pictures of people kneeling while they pray. But we need to remember or learn for the first time that in the Apostle Paul's day, kneeling was not the normal posture. Sitting was not the normal posture. The normal posture when someone would pray in the New Testament was they would be standing. We find that through the record of Jesus' ministry. People are standing. That was not as common in Paul's day. But Paul says here, I kneel. I bow my knees. This was not typical. But what it represents here is the humility of the Apostle Paul. The reverence in his worship. And it just kind of made me smile a little bit on the inside when I looked at this because the Apostle Paul, of course, is under house arrest at this time. And I can't be sure that he was all the time chained to an officer, but for much of the time under house arrest, he was chained to an officer. So can you imagine when he's chained to this Roman soldier and he's kneeling down? Probably a unique thing, maybe an opportunity for him to talk about his faith as this man can see that this guy is something that is real. He was able to um, do that and maybe have an impact. We're going to look at four requests that are built into this prayer. And so they're not just requests that Paul gave for the church at Ephesus, but they can be requests for you to pray as well. The first one, if you're taking notes, is found in verse 16. And the first one is we should ask God for inner spiritual strength. You and I need to ask God the Father for inner spiritual strength. I'm going to back up and start in verse 15 and go down to the end of 16 from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You and I need to pray to God and ask for him to give us inner spiritual strength. Let me give a little bit of a review of how we started this study in Ephesus because I said we're coming to a transition time. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesus, the Apostle Paul writes and he tells the Christians who they are, what they have in Christ. We see a couple prayers. We see a doxology of praise in there. And so much of this tells these Christians who they are in Jesus Christ. That's the first three chapters. And then when we get to chapter four, It tells us how to have victory in your walk. He doesn't get into the practical in the first three chapters. So we are going to today close our time talking about who we are in Christ, what we have. And he did it in this order for this reason. You need to know who you are and what you have as a believer in order to have success in what God has called you to do. From the moment you get saved... Most of us don't have a high Bible IQ. Oftentimes, you are acting on what I call borrowed convictions. You're doing it because your parents told you to do it. You're doing it because it's acceptable practice in your church. There's a positive peer pressure, and you might not know why you are doing some things, but you will still do them. You might keep a list. You might have some habits and practices in your life. But when you find out who you are, and don't miss this, and this is really a good little summary of the sermon today, the power that you have. When you begin to follow Christ, when you become a Christian, the power that you have to obey. 
And that's the first prayer request. Ask God for inner spiritual strength. We find the words inner being here. This is a combination of our mind and our will and our emotions, your inner being. If you like um, opposites, this idea of um, being um, strengthened in our inner mind and drawing inner strength, spiritual strength, it's the opposite of what happens when we lose heart. Maybe you've heard somebody say before, don't lose heart when something bad is going on. That's the exact opposite of drawing strength in our inner being here. And Paul prays that they are strengthened with Holy Spirit power. We've already sang about that today. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the power that is in you so that you can have victory and obey. And I will note this, a lot of commentators and preachers um, camped out on this for a while. I'm just going to mention the sentence so I can um, just give it a brief highlight. It is key to note that this power is already within any follower of Jesus Christ. It does not say you need to go and find some kind of a second blessing so that you can get this power. It does not push that you have to achieve an additional step to have the power for victory in your life. It says you're given this according to the power that works within you. This is something that is in every Christian. Paul prays that they are strengthened with Holy Spirit power We don't need to get something new. We just need to have, listen, we need to have what is inside of you, if you're a Christian, revealed. It's all there. It's all there, just working around inside of you. And we need to see that revealed. And chapters four, five, and six of Ephesians show us some specific ways that we're going to need that power. Also, for some, let me just say this. And my hook today was this over-the-top, these over-the-top verses and these incredible promises. And yeah, I want to be able to be able to claim those with confidence. But can I get real just for a second here? For many of you, this power that would come from the Holy Spirit within you if you're a Christian you're not nearly as interested in that power so you can have these grand claims to these over-the-top verses. For many of you, you want that power, honestly, just so you can get through another day. Trying to raise your kids in a way that would direct them towards God. You can get power to do that. Some need power just to hang on to their marriage the stats tell us in our nation half of these marriages break up and you don't have to have that power to move a mountain from here to there you just want that power to get through another day of your marriage and hold on and let me encourage you that power is there that power is there for you when you go into your workplace that power is there for you when you are meeting together with a body of believers. And the Apostle Paul goes into specifics for all of these. And that power is there for the great things, but it's also there for the things that maybe you don't even feel like it's important enough to mention as a prayer request, possibly. And yet there might be turmoil with inside, within you. You are fighting the devil. God gives this power. Number two, if you're taking notes, we need to ask God for deep faith. We need to ask God for deep faith. Look at just the first part of um, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts 
through faith. That's the shortest section we're going to read for a point, but we're going to have probably our biggest application. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. The idea here is this, and this might be a wonderful takeaway for you. I don't have one specific takeaway today. There might be more than one, but maybe this is the one that will key in with you. The idea here is that Jesus Christ is at home in our heart. There was a booklet written years ago by Robert Munger. It was called My Heart, Christ Home. And he gives the best picture of this that I have come across. And what Munger does in this little booklet is he writes about our lives being a house and Jesus Christ comes and goes through our house making observations, possibly making some changes. And Munger talks about some different rooms that would be in your house that Jesus would make a trip from one to the other. He starts out with the library. The library would be your mind. And as Christ is walking through the library of your life, he might find trash, some garbage that if he was there with you, you would have never continued in that, read that, kept that, watched that program or movie. And Christ finds trash. And beyond that, and this is a stretch for some of us, he finds so many worthless things. Worthless things that you're invested in emotionally that will do nothing to lead us from where God wants us to be. And that's why it's so tricky because some of these things that are worthless, maybe they don't seem to be sin in and of themselves and yet they pull us away from the victorious life that God wants us to be. It's not sin, but it's definitely not something that is leading us to a higher place and growing in our walk with Christ. So the first room is the library. And he Jesus Christ will come through. In this book, he says Christ will come through, find that trash and the junk. He's got to replace it. What does Christ replace things with in the library? He's going to replace it with his word. We take in his word. It's a beautiful, beautiful replacement. It doesn't get any better than that. Next, Munger describes going to the dining room. This is um, a room of appetites, of appetites. And we might get into meddling here when we talk about this room. What's your appetite for? Because, as I said before, the devil is so sneaky. He is so smart. Because he's not going to tempt you all the time with things that are sin, per se. There are some things that are sin that we'll have an appetite for, but he will increase your appetite for things that you have to have. You might even be able to give a Bible verse along with it. And if that appetite goes beyond your appetite to know God more, for holiness, for producing the fruits of the Spirit, that's where we run into trouble. Your appetite for money, you have to have money. We just live in a day where you have to deal with that. And that's not a problem. But when your appetite for money gets greater than your appetite for Christ, that's where we have a problem. Your appetite for being popular, not having any enemies. Your appetite for lust. And this is obviously one that can turn to sin very quickly. And he takes those appetites and he replaces them with humility. Christ will walk through the rooms of your heart and walk through the dining room and see your appetites and he will replace those appetites that are not going to lead you to where God wants you to be to a place where you have an appetite for love and for patience 
Who has an appetite for patience? Do you? You should be. You should be wanting to increase in your patience in life. And some of you are saying, oh, mercy, please. I think I've shown enough patience. And the example that we point to is always who? It's Jesus Christ. Long-suffering, goodness, mercy. These are the things we need to be increasing in. And then we move from the library to the dining room on to the living room. And this is the area of fellowship, of fellowship. So friendships that you have, connections, whether it be on the job or at school. I'm not going to go, I think here's where I want to go with this. I don't want to talk about necessarily your best friend that's influencing you, and that is important. You need to have people that are influencing you towards Jesus Christ. That's very important. But let me go this angle instead with the short amount of time I've got to talk about this. When it comes to our fellowship, let me just challenge you with this. The people who you interact with maybe once a week, every once in a while, and you, and we don't say this out loud, but it would be your preference if they didn't even know you were a Christian. They didn't know you went to church. For some people, they just don't want to have that conversation because I can control this. I can control this relationship. I can control this. And some people say, I just don't want to have that conversation. So you don't, don't wear your cross necklace or you don't put your Jesus fish in the back of your car or your WWJD bracelet, whatever it might be. And there are many people who don't want others to know that they're a Christian. And we don't say that out loud. But let me encourage you that you are a steward of those relationships. And so when he walks into the living room where we have fellowship with other people, Jesus has to do some cleaning up. And the idea, again, is that Jesus feels at home in every part of your life. And then very, very quickly, Munger goes in his book and he says many people will clean up every room in the house. And then you might walk into your house and you find Jesus standing in front of a closet. Jesus says, there's a stink coming from this closet. And, you, and the idea in the book is, is you'll say, really, I gave you every room in the house, Jesus. I gave you everything. Can't I just keep this one little two foot by four foot closet? And Jesus would say, if I'm going to be at home in this place, I cannot have this stink of this sin, this private sin coming out. Listen. If you want to have power in your walk with Jesus Christ, it means that Jesus Christ is going to need to feel at home within you. Everything is already there within you, that power that you need. But very much so, if Christ is going to feel at home with you, you need to be making sure that you are working towards the things that he wants you to have in your life and putting off the things that he does not want you to have. This is how Paul prays for these believers, that Christ would be at home in their heart. Let's look at number three quickly. We'll go faster for these last two. Number three, we should ask God for abundant love. You need to ask God for abundant love. We'll pick up um, in verse number 17 and go down through the first part of 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have And if you don't like exaggeration, just tune out right here or maybe just get used to it. Verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth 
and the length and the height and the depth. And this is kind of confusing. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So we see here this description, the height of the love of Jesus Christ and the depth and the length, the width, this incredible love, and you should ask God for abundant love. I think that if we could go back and ask the Apostle Paul why he prays for Christ to feel at home in the life of the believers and why he prays for inner strength for them, I think, and this is my opinion, I think he would say it was so that a believer could show more love to those around them those that they're close with and those that they're not close with. He wants us to be doing these things so that love flows out of us. And he said they're rooted in love. That gives a picture, doesn't it? Rooted. We were doing some improvements on the outside of our house not too long ago, last season, and there were some old bushes that were there before we purchased the home. We wanted to get rid of those. And so I went out with my shovel and with my muscles, and I dug around these things, and I pulled on them and leaned on them, and I didn't have any success. I couldn't get these bushes to come out of the ground. I've gotten some bushes in the past before, but these bushes, they were not coming out. The roots ran so deep and so vast, and so I thought, well, I'm smarter than these bushes are. I can get these things out of here, and so I went, and I got myself a steel cable, and I got myself a jeep, all right, and I tied the steel cable around the base of these bushes, and I t- one of the bushes, and tightened it as much as I could, tied the other end to my Jeep. Now, when I got underneath this Jeep that is 27 years old now, I tied that steel cable around it, and there was stuff that fell off and got in my eyes as I was tying that cable around it. It was not dirt that fell in my eyes. Does anybody know what it was that fell in my eyes? It was rust. And so I, not nervous about the power in that big engine and not nervous about that uh, bush, I was nervous about the rust that had corrupted this bar that I was going to pull it on, but it did not stop me. So I continued to go, and I had the family there, and we pull that steel wire till it's taut, and then I just start to give it some gas, and it's not doing much, and finally one of them came out, and it was great. Got this big old bush out of there, and I hardly broke a sweat doing it. Just got some rust in my eyes. I got to another one, and this one wasn't coming. I got, to, got the, the wire extended, and I stepped on the gas, and some more, and some more. Bam, that wire broke. It snapped and came flying back towards the Jeep, and that didn't stop me. I went back and tied it up again. I ended up getting almost all of those bushes out. I couldn't get them all. As I tied that steel wire to this powerful Jeep, I couldn't get them all. You see, those bushes had been growing and those roots had gone so far that it was impossible for me in my own physical strength to get them out. And even when I tried with the power of that old V8 engine, I could not get them all out. Don't miss the connection. There are going to be things in this world Thousands of things that are going to try to pull you away from responding in the love of Christ. Somebody else's sin. Your own shortcomings. 
something that takes place that was out of your control, whatever it might be, there will be thousands of opportunities for you to respond in an unloving way. And what God wants you to do is to respond from the, here's what he said, the deep roots of love. That happens as you take in God's word. That happens as you have private worship and understand how much you've been forgiven for the love that he showed to you and also happens as you go through real life. As you respond in love to somebody who doesn't deserve it and then you get past it and you say, that was good. God was right. That was beautiful. And there are thousands upon thousands of opportunities for you to respond in an unloving way. And the Apostle Paul writes here, he wants you to respond with this inner strength. He wants you to respond with incredible love, abundant love. Will you make it your prayer? Not only your prayer that you'll be loving in all things, but will you take the necessary steps to be extending those roots. And the longer you walk on this earth, you should be extending these roots grounded in love so that when you have a conversation and it doesn't go like you want it to, you respond in love. And the devil's gonna try to pull that root of love out. You need to be so grounded. The major use of your energies, whatever that is, These need to have a foundation of love, how you respond to people. It also says their love must be the foundation on which the Holy Spirit-powered life is built upon. We need to have deep roots. And then finally, in closing, we should ask God for his fullness to define our lives. We need to ask God for his fullness to define our lives. Look at the second, we'll read all of verse 19 again. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so in this second prayer that Paul prays for these believers, it is right for us to observe that as he prays for all of these things, then Paul, he has a reaction. He has a reaction to what he has just prayed, that God has the ability He does not say, you guys need to do this by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. He does not say, you've got to have such an incredible plan in place. There is part on our side. But then he goes right into this wonderful praise and observing that it is God's ability to answer this prayer and it's powerfully stated in those final two verses. And we started with that this morning. Look at verse 20 with me. His prayer is done, and now he responds in this way. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's spontaneous burst of praise to God. He says God is able to make all of these things true. God even knows what you don't ask for. The things that you can think of, he goes beyond that. He knows what is so beautiful and good for you. I heard the great illustration of one gentleman interacting with another Christian this past week and he was talking about prayer. And he said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't bother God with the small stuff. I just ask God for the big stuff. 
And that makes sense to us on a level, doesn't it? Until you get to know God. Because on our side of that request, there is small stuff, right? And there's big stuff, right? But once you cross that level and you get onto God's half of it, do you think God is up there with a request saying, oh, holy smokes, he's asked for three big ones this month. I've got to dole those out pretty carefully. No, that's not a very good God voice either. I've never had a good God voice. God doesn't see these things are big, so you can only have a few of these. What, what is hard for God? Brothers and sisters, what can you even think of that God could not do? And all of it needs to be the request and the work in our life for his glory, lifting him up. There is nothing too big for God. He is a God of superabundance. And so what can you do? Obviously, you can pray this as a prayer for yourself. But I give us a couple things. What can you do? First of all, have confidence that you can live your life with the power that God says you have. And I'll just, just to share from my heart, there's a whole lot of um, places I need to grow in and places my faith needs to be stretched. And I'll even come across something in God's word, but I'm never, never, never afraid of claiming God's word. I might not completely understand it all the time. I might be in process of God growing me, but I'm never afraid to claim what God's word has said. So have confidence that you can live your life with this power that he has made available. And then number two, be constantly making your life a place where Jesus is at home, where Christ is at home. Because listen, the power that's available to you is amazing. This power, you can't even, you, you can't even start to comprehend it. There's nothing that our minds can even get to that understands this kind of power. And I stand with you in lamenting the fact that we underestimate God so much. I don't think he can take it. Now, I don't say that, but on my end, I think, well, you know, he's been patient enough with me. I'm just thankful to be a sinner saved by grace. He wants you to be thankful to be a sinner saved by grace, but he wants you to go beyond that. And draw from this incredible power. And yet we think that it won't work. I close with this. Last Sunday, we had a wonderful uh, get-together. Jan shared, Jan Murray, one of our missionaries, shared a presentation in the gym. We had about a fourth of our church that stayed for this get-together. Honestly, it was great. She did all the work, did all the talking, and we just ate a delicious meal while she was giving us a report about her ministry. It was great. I came walking in before church carrying a crock pot full of a delicious recipe. And I was so excited for this. My wife um, had put it together and it was gonna be so great. Needed to cook for about another hour and I was here early enough for that. And as I walked in the kitchen with my crock pot, I looked and there were, I think, five other crock pots that were already plugged in in the kitchen. Now, some of you are saying, where's he going with this? Some of you have plugged in a crock pot before when there were five other crock pots plugged in the same room. And maybe you've had the experience that I've had before where pow, you blow the breaker. What a disaster. What a disaster if this doesn't cook for the next hour and if all these other ones don't cook for the time that they need to. And so I automatically asked, I think at least two people, uh, I plugged it in, but hopefully we didn't blow a breaker in there. 
Hopefully we can all have all these meals and, all the, and, the, and those crock pots don't overload the circuit. And I found out that every one of ours is on an individual circuit, so there was no danger. And the food was delicious, by the way. When I walked in there and I had that fear, that hesitation that we're going to blow a breaker because it couldn't possibly have enough power for every one of these crock pots, don't allow that to be what you think of God wants your life to look like. So you might think, maybe this is the right amount of power that God's want, God wants displayed in my life. Can I say to you that God, that your God is a God of super abundance and the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the power that you have, not just for salvation, but for victory in this world. And so then, if I can close with an alarm, let me sound an alarm. Let me tell you this. You're going to encounter people that have an alarm going off in their life, and I'm not talking about an email full box alert. I'm not talking about an alarm on their car going off. Individuals walking all around you will have alarms going off. They're going to point them to ask the question, what's the purpose of life? Is there life after death? Is there a chance to have real joy and meaning in life? And they're going to have alarms that are going off, raising this question. And I want you to have so much confidence in what God has done that you can go up and say, hey, you need to pay attention to that alarm. What's going on there? That's not an accident. God has something he's trying to tell you. And I can tell you about God and about his son and about the difference that he has made in my life and the power that is there to answer your questions. People have alarms going off all throughout their lives and you need to be saying, hey, I can tell you why the alarm is going off and I can give you the answer that you have with such a confidence, with a confidence to where you'll go and say, my faith system is right and every other faith system in the world is wrong. Are you kidding Can you have that kind of confidence? When you have a confidence in the power of God and what he has done in your life, you can point people in that way. Tell them not to ignore the alarms, but tell them that God is trying to speak to them and then you be the mouthpiece, be the hands and be the feet of how God wants to work. Let's pray. Gracious Father, it is good to know how powerful you are. And as we go through and We've just completed this one section telling us who we are in Christ. We thank you for the understanding that we can have of who we are. And we look forward to the practical part, these last three chapters, where it tells us how we can have success in our marriage, how we can have joy in parenting, how we can have unity in a church, how we can have joy in the workplace and represent you well. We praise you for this letter that was read in, I believe, multiple churches years and years ago, and how we can study it in our lives today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to ask Ron to play through a song on the piano. There's two, one of two things you can do. If you're here today and you're not saved, you've never called upon Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, you can do that right now. That's why Christ died on the cross for your sins. You can ask him to forgive you and to make you his child. You can do that even during this time. There's been a few points in the sermon today. Perhaps God's working in your heart in some other way. Take a moment.
during this time to do some business with God.